Welcome to the HTW Podcast, where your hosts, Erica Huss and Zoe Sakutis, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We stepped away from the juicer and into the sound studio to talk about this rapidly evolving world of wellness. We'll sit down with wellness experts and entrepreneurs for candid conversations and tales from the trenches, how they got their start, how they turned their ailments into ideas, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll bring you news, updates, and our unsolicited opinions on everything we discover in sickness and in wealth. Located at the intersection of wellness and business, H2W is your navigator on the bumpy highway to well. Zoe. Erica. Happy Thanksgiving post-Thanksgiving. I thought we were creating evergreen content. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. I'm kidding. Zoe, happy Tuesday. Happy Easter. What? We're (laughs) confusing everyone now. Um, No, we had Thanksgiving. It's true. It happened again. It happened again. It just came around again. I am grateful that it is no longer Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm so thankful for it being over. (laughs) Because I don't eat turkey. I don't eat meat. No one likes turkey. I got Thanksgiving scallops. You know, it's the lesser known. The um, the the pilgrims also went scalloping that day. I believe they were on the coast. <laughs> yes, no, they were delicious. Actually, shout out to my host friend who made my delicious scallops. Nice, because I made my try to chew butternut bake. Butternut bake. I've made that a few times. Um, it's delicious. It's, it's never it's, not good. No, it's never not good. I watched the parade, and then I went to a restaurant. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> my baby sat at the bar. Oh my really? God, I have a picture to show you. I wow. was like, whoa. She was like losing her shit everywhere in the restaurant except when she was seated at the bar. Mm, genetics at play. That's right. <laughs> I was like, this is a little embarrassing. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, anyway. What is the wellest thing that you did with your time this weekend? The wellest thing that I did with my time this weekend? What was uh, your highway to well? Goodness. God, well, you have an answer, so let's start with you I first. actually don't. I was just curious. Um, I think I did a mask. I think I did some, uh, I did, oh, I did, I had, a, I had a nice, like, bath bomb experience. And by that, I mean, like, you know, a bomb in the bath that did not come from me. <laughs> Two things that I did. Yes. Under the umbrella of sleep and meditation. Mm. The first one was I recognized my window because it was a long-ass weekend with no childcare. So I have to say I was spent. I was like, oh my God, you can't pay me enough to do this job. (laughs) My little lady took a nap and I was like, Zoe, force yourself to lay down and close your eyes. And you don't have, I had to talk to myself like a toddler. I was like, you don't have to go to sleep, (laughs) but just close your eyes. So I like turned on a podcast. I put my little headphones on and I laid down and I'm usually, I'm actually not a bad napper, but I, I really, I did not, but I really rested and that was healthy. That is, that is very healthy. That was the first thing. And then the second thing under the umbrella of sleep meditation was at night before I went to bed because I was, I've been like waking up a lot mm-hmm. during the night. I took a big hit of that dosist um, THC CBD pen. The sleep one? The sleep one. Yeah. And it was like magic. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dosis. Huh? Thanks, Dosis. (laughs) Um, And that's it. That's what I got. That was my wellness weekend warrior story. That's pretty good, though. I did my normal, like, routine, my gym stuff, whatever. I did run out of energy sort of as the weekend wound down. I practiced emotional wellness. Mm. And I spent some really quality time with friends that I don't see that often. Mental health break. Mental health break. It really was. It was nice to just have unlimited... Like I went and had a sleepover at my friend's house. And that, you spent time with real friends in person. Real adult people yeah. in person. No social media. We not were your, doing our social media. Not your time. social media, quote unquote, friends. No, my no. real friends. And it was just nice to have like time to actually run out of things to talk about, even though we didn't. Because we had, you know, it's like, you always feel like you go out to dinner and you get right into something, you know, you get in the middle of a conversation and then like somebody brings a check and there goes like, then the conversation's over, the evening's over. And sometimes you're like, thank God. And sometimes, yes. But, you know, it was nice to have that sort of unfettered time that uh, we went to a movie. We talked about the movie. Nice. What movie did you see? We saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. It was so good. Okay. Let me say. The movie is not amazing because there's just too much that they have to cram into the amount of time that the movie... I mean, they're, they're telling the entire story of Queen, basically, but obviously the focus is Freddie Mercury. But Remy Malik, that performance was 
unbelievable. It mm. was, I mean, moved to tears. And it really just made me uh, have so much more appreciation for what I think is like kind of a an unsung sort of group of that time because there was so much happening with Live Aid and we didn't know as much. I don't know. I think that's what the movie is trying to do is sort of open the door to inform people on, you know. We're going to start a second podcast that's just movie reviews. Oh, yeah. They're going to be super <laughs> eloquent. Yeah. But to punctuate that, after the movie, we went home and had a dance party. And that was really fun, too. What? That's always fun. It See, was really fun. And I, I came listen. home with like a big smile on my face. That's good. We both had like a little bit of a mental health break. That's yeah. good. You can necessary. always have a dance party with me. See, this is the nice thing that two toddlers provide. Is a dance party. <laughs> open opportunity. Moments notice. Open season for dance parties. All you have to do is put on like The Sound of Music or Hamilton. And they just go cray. <laughs> they go bananas. It's nice. It's good. Nice. So we actually just got back from La La Land. Yeah. We went to Los Angeles and we had a wonderful conversation with someone who I really want to be my new best friend. Me too. I feel <laughs> like there was a lot of love in that room. I know. And I hate, you know what? Okay. We need to start being harder on our guests or something because it just like turns into these big love fests. Well, because we're pretty easy to love. No, but I but they're also easy to love. So do you want to bring people in and abuse them? Yes. Okay. I don't know. People want drama, don't they? They want a little bit of drama, but I'm I mean, kidding. I'm kidding. So we sat down with the founder of GT's Living Foods and the brand that is synonymous with kombucha synergy. He is um, the first. He is the first. He was the first. Mm -hmm. He's literally the godfather of kombucha. GT Dave. GT Dave. His da his name is not Dave. His name is GT. That is correct. Yes. George Thomas. It's George Thomas. Thomas. Isn't yes. that just the name of the loveliest person you've ever met? He is really probably one of the loveliest people I've ever met. Yeah. And I also really liked that he showed up in full body art. And I was like, oh, this guy is way more of a badass than I thought. <laughs> and then it turned yeah. out that his entire sleep of tattoos was temporary because he had had a rager of a Halloween party that weekend. Yeah. He was like, he had his guy lighter on. It was great. It was an incredible story. I think a lot of people are familiar with his story. If you read the back of the bottle, there's a piece of the story on there. But basically, his mother had kind of a miraculous health experience. She was diagnosed with cancer uh, about 20-something years ago, and she was already a pretty healthy lifestyle person. They saw miraculous results from um, what she credits to drinking what no one at the time knew. It was kombucha. She got it from a friend. Like, her friend literally brought her back a culture. And she was drinking it. And when she was diagnosed, there was just like amazing progress very rapidly. And the doctors were like, what did you do? And she said, well, I haven't been doing anything different, but I've been drinking this tea. She's like, but I'm a kombucha drinker. And they're like, oh, well, don't stop drinking kombucha because your cancer seems to be pausing. Right. And it is not growing. He's got an amazing story. He was obviously very influenced by his Yeah. I mean, I think that was story. like the light bulb over yeah. his head. And he was 15 at the time. He basically launched this business out of his parents' kitchen at the age of 15, which is bananas. He's pretty impressive. And we had a lovely conversation with him. He is based in California. You were going to say Los Angeles with your weird accent again. I know. I was like, <laughs> what is that accent? <laughs> um, any excuse to do an accent, I'll do it. And now he's going to tell us his story. So officially welcome. Thank I'm you. Glad we found each other. Yes, that was me like too. you really like materialized out of thin air <laughs> in the parking lot. That was yeah. crazy. Well, I'd so, like to make an entrance. It was quite an entrance. <laughs> we are in um we are in LA and so we're having to deal with parking and all all the, the things that, that we don't have like to deal with. Valet and crazy stuff like that yeah. and hitting garages and parking lots. So it was quite a challenge to get it was an epic GT journey. Dave here. We thought that the LA Angelinos would just know how to just navigate yeah, like that type of thing, but it didn't. It. Yeah. Anyway, it turned out the elevator was like the most challenging part of the whole, <laughs> the whole arrival. That we was found each fun. other. So right. welcome. We're so happy to meet you. It's Thank really you. I'm happy like, to meet you oh too God. as well. It's funny. I feel like having being consumers of your amazing brand for so long, I feel like I know you, especially because I think that yeah. it is one of those brands and products where the personality and the story and everything that's behind it is so evident. And so I feel like I kind of know you already. Well, thank you. But I don't. Likewise. So I feel very intimately acquainted with the uh, GG Dave Kombucha because it helped me through a very difficult time in my life. And what I mean, I was pregnant. And so I was searching for something that would fill the, the alcohol void. <laughs> and I found this 
just a just a hint of alcohol in the GT, and it got me through not one but two pregnancies. <laughs> wow! So I would drink that when I wasn't drinking wine. Well, you know, you're not alone. I mean, a lot of women say that because not only really? does it make you feel better, it helps with the morning sickness. It just helps with promoting that overall wellness that you mm. need, especially when you're pregnant. You know, it's such a delicate stage. Yeah, I was doing it for that. Yeah, reasons. she was looking for a buzz. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we can say that part. You don't have to say that. <laughs> um, but I mean, in all seriousness, the fact that, you know, your brand does really resonate your story and many people know it. I still really just want to hear it from you because I feel like you, you, we brought you here to tell your story and we want to hear about it. So no, yeah, thank just you. bring us back. I love telling my story because it really is the heart and soul of what we do at GT's Living Food. So, you know, back in the mid 90s, right? So 1995. When you were like five. Yes, when okay. I was five. <laughs> well, actually, I was younger than diapers. So um, my parents, who are very spiritual, holistic people, raised me a vegetarian out of my mom's womb. And, you know, they were always making, eating these kind of quirky foods, whether it was tofu, wheatgrass, chia seeds, noni, you name it, right? But this is before things were cool. And this was certainly before Whole Foods. So, you know, being raised a vegetarian as a child, it's especially during that time, it's it's challenging because, you know, when you're young, you just want to fit in. So I kind of, to be honest, resented the vegetarianism for the mm-hmm. first half of my life because I just felt like the black sheep whenever I'd go to school and open my lunchbox and everybody's eating Where's like, my bologna? Yeah. Where's exactly. my white bread? Yeah. Where's yeah. my carton of milk? Yeah. I didn't even have that. Oh, yeah. Wow. I don't give yeah. my, I haven't given my kids any milk. Yeah. You're smart. Never. Because milk no. is gross. Milk is, it's they like, say, what do they say? Dairy is scary. It is. Yeah. I saw a billboard that said that and I was like, I those mean, are wise words. I mean, listen, I'm not going to turn off, turn away from a fancy cheese plate. I was going to say, cheese gonna, plate notwithstanding. My dairy, dairy allowance is, is not going to be spent on cow's Correct. milk. Like, well, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, yeah. it's nice to have your vices, like yeah. again, some cheese here and there, but not a daily part of your no. life. No. Yeah. And definitely yeah. not like drinking some cow juice because that is nar nar cow juice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, cow breast milk. You were yeah. saying. Um, so anyway, so cut to now 1993 mm-hmm. is when kombucha first came into my parents' lives. And they were introduced to it by a friend of theirs that actually owned a fresh press juicery here in Los Angeles oh. called the Beverly Hills Juice Club. I know the Beverly Hills. I used to. Yes, that yeah, is that so is the real OG. That's the real OG. Yeah. deal. Wow. Yeah. So back, in, mm-hmm. back in the day and it's still going. And yeah. so now David Otto, who is the founder and father of Beverly Hills Juice Club, has passed it on to his son. But back then it was just David and, and he was very close with my parents. Um, David, I would ex- describe as a William Morris agent that took one too many hits of acid. And then went from an agent to like a juice guy. Yep. You know, grew his ponytail, like super hippy dippy. In any event, so my parents were good friends of his and and David was also a client of my father's because my dad's an attorney. Mm -hmm. And so every day, religiously, my dad, before he'd go to not far from here, Sunset and Vine, to go to his office, he'd cross Beverly Hills Juice Club and pick up his morning juice. And so one day, one fateful day, David Otto said, all right, so my wife has been drinking this kind of funky tea. She just came back from the Himalayas. She brought with her this like disc rubbery thing that she's fermenting a tea with. And she is just like over the moon for it. And he's like, but I'm not buying it. He's like, I I smell snake oil. So he said, so um, you're a good friend. And an attorney. (laughs) And an attorney. But we're also all on the same path, right? Because we were all plant-based, all of that. Mm -hmm. So he said, please give it a chance and let me know your thoughts. Because you and uh, your wife, my mom, Lorraine, are not the typical placebo type. Mm -hmm. So let me know your thoughts. So gave them a culture, gave them the recipe. And I remember my parents came home that day and just started making it. And I was like... This looks bizarre. You're like, no, I was yeah. just getting normal exactly. at school. <laughs> yeah, like eating like the little thing. baby. Yeah. Well, here's the best part is, so my parents fell in love with it quickly and then went from one batch to two batch to five batches to seven batches. So they had a batch for every day of the week. Wow. And it was perfectly positioned on the dining room <laughs> table for everybody to see when they came and visited awesome. me. <laughs> so awesome. I was like, you really just want me to have no friends. Yeah. <laughs> so my friends would come over and they'd be like, what, what, what is that? Does that smell, it's like, a, it's like a vinegar something. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, it's just something my parents are doing, just completely ignore it. And they're like, what are those bowls? And I was like, yeah, well, it's my parents are doing something. And I would show them Ooh. 
after they insisted that I show them what was in the bowls and this like slimy thing like burped at them. (laughs) (laughs) So needless to say, I wanted nothing to do with kombucha. It embarrassed me and it was affecting my social life. Which, And as you're a teenager, that's basically (laughs) everything. I know that's hard because it is scary to look at, especially for a young child. It's a a creepy little blobby thing. It looks great. It really is. I mean, it looks like something that could Stranger Things. It's like from the upside down. Yeah, It really is from the upside down. (laughs) And when it's like burping and farting at you. Yeah. And growing and, you know, it's yeah. sort of like, oh. Yeah. Like, you're like, I'm going to drink that? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, so now fast forward two years later, my parents are making it, drinking it, loving it, like touting all these health benefits about it to their friends, family members. My mom worked at this department store called I'm Magnin, which then became Saks Fifth Avenue in Beverly Hills. And she would bring bottles of homemade kombucha with her to work. And whenever something great happened, whether it was a sale or a wonderful client or whatever, instead of toasting champagne... <laughs> They toasted kombucha. And what was, I must admit, and this was through my mom's Lorraine. Mom, is what happened was, is people would initially be like, oh, that's interesting. And then they would drink it and then they would go shopping or go start do their day. And then they would rather call her or come back and be like, what was that stuff that you had me drink? And mm. then they said, you know what? I feel better. Mm-hmm. Like I had like a stomach ache or a headache or something. And I don't know what it was, but, and I don't know if it was a coincidence, but I feel better. Mm-hmm. And after hearing that time and time again, my parents were just inspired to like, hey, we're not the only ones feeling the benefit of mm-hmm. this. Clearly others are. So they just became these like missionaries, right? They were giving away <clears> cultures <throat> and telling everybody how to make it and all of that. It's not easy to it's make. Not it's not easy. Very it's a science project. Yeah. So now things take a turn and my mom thinks that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the doctor and she gets checked. And the doctor's like, well, Mrs. Dave, you're not pregnant. But there is something growing inside you, and it's a very large tumor in your right breast, about the size of a golf ball. We believe you've had it for about four years. Uh, It's very large. It appears to be very aggressive, and we're very concerned. And so I remember my mom coming to me and my brothers that summer and shared with us the news. And, you know, I was barely a teenager. My mom is my everything. Just this whole idea of that her life could be done was the most traumatizing experience to date Mm -hmm. that I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And so I remember like I felt that I had been diagnosed with cancer and I felt hopeless and all of that. But I remember the the bravery in my mom's eyes. Like she's like, I'm going to get through this and I'll do whatever it takes to survive. And I remember like we all cried. It was in the backyard. It was very like dramatic. Now, the bright side of the story is that about two weeks later when the doctors got the results back, they called my mom and they said, Mrs. Dave, we have good news. Your tumor is actually mostly precancerous and it hasn't spread. It hasn't gone to your lymph nodes and we're pretty blown away. So we want to ask you, what are you doing? Are you doing anything unusual, Chinese herbs, Chinese medicines, anything of that? And my mom goes, well, I am a vegetarian. I like to exercise. And for the last couple of years, I've been drinking this kind of funky tasting tea that makes me feel great. And the doctors are like, well, whatever it is, continue to do it because your situation, your condition is miraculous. And so that was the first wow. time that my parents heard anything beyond it just makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. They heard that it, actually there was perhaps some science to it. Now, mm-hmm. keep in mind, this is now 1995. Mm-hmm. There's barely the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Right. There's no Google. The word wellness find, doesn't yeah. exist. Social and, media doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. And you want to find information. Like the information superhighway wasn't really <laughs> created. Right. It wasn't paved. So you have to like go to like a library, yeah. Yeah. which a lot of people don't know what that is anymore, but it's like a a room filled with books. And, so, <laughs> and luckily you, you were 12, so yeah. you had a library yeah, card. exactly. <laughs> and so what was really interesting is my parents immediately went and started to do some research and they found books, articles, reports that talked about specifically kombucha mm. and its ability to suppress metabolic diseases. And there was this wonderful book by um, this German author named Gunther Frank and a couple other that referenced how kombucha works with the body. Mm-hmm. It almost has like an adaptogenic quality where it goes where it's needed and it's known to detoxify mm-hmm. and restore balance to the body as and as we all know when the body is in a balanced state it can heal itself mm-hmm. so again i'm not here to say that kombucha cured my mom right i'm here to say it helped her it played and, a role yeah it certainly did definitely now and- she did opt to do traditional medicine mm-hmm. right so she did have a lumpectomy chemotherapy and radiation mm-hmm. but throughout that entire process kombucha was the one single thing that kept her going mm-hmm. because as we all know when someone does chemotherapy yeah. I mean, the chemotherapy almost kills the patient Everything, yeah. before it kills the cancer. Right. So I would watch when she lost all her hair, all of that. 
And the kombucha is the only thing she she kept she could keep down. That's amazing. So I witnessed again how it potentially helped her at the beginning by suppressing the cancer and then helped her throughout her process. Yeah. And so I was inspired to say the least. And I just went to my parents and I said, guys, this is a beautiful thing. It needs to be out there in the world. And they said, and they said, what are you talking about, son? <laughs> and I was like, we need to like do something with this. We need to bottle it and make it available for others because you guys give away cultures and the recipe. But what I also noticed is nine out of 10 times, people that we gave cultures to would be like, yeah, I couldn't like, yeah, my, my mother didn't have a baby and my baby had mold. And by, by mother, mother and baby. baby. Oh yeah. The you're culture. You're talking about yeah. the actual yeah. culture, yeah, like exactly. the same kind of like sourdough kind of thing. Exactly. Right? So, you yeah. have to grow your ferment. So That's you exactly to, You it. have to feed it like a little baby. Right. Well, just for people who Sugar. don't know, I mean, kombucha is like, we call it a plant because technically it is a probiotic culture, but it reacts like a plant, meaning it has its cycle. It has its harvest. It has you know, just like, and we consider ourselves farmers at GTs where we plant our seed. Oh, I like that. We nurture and love and tender, but nature is the one that's in control. And so we are just conduits for that, right? And so the process that I was referencing is after, call it, your batch is born, it actually gives birth, the mother, which is the primary culture, gives birth to a baby culture. So you now, now have two. Mm-hmm. It's also very self-sustaining in that way, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful thing. So anyway, so my parents were like, son, you're talking about starting a company and that's kind of a big deal. My dad's like, I'm an attorney. I have my law <laughs> firm. Have job. Which, yeah, yeah, it takes a lot of my time. And my mom's like, yeah, I have this thing called breast cancer that I'm still mm-hmm. dealing with. So they both said, why don't you do it? And I thought, okay, I will. And now- Okay, just and get, officially, how old are you at this point? I'm 15. Okay. So I was about to explain that. So I know it sounds like I'm making it up, but at 15 years old, right before this is all happening, or even simultaneously, I'm now going to Beverly Hills High because I'm born and raised here in Los Angeles. And I had my first meeting with my college counselor and I was sitting down with her. And by the way, I went to Catholic school, private school for the first eight years of first to eighth grade. High school was a totally different world to me. I did the total opposite. Really? Yeah. I went public and then for high school, I went private. Uh, I wonder, I think probably doing the reverse is easier. Going public first? Yeah. Because when you go from, because you know what it is? It's almost just like having freedom to having restrictions, which is okay. But when you go from having restrictions yeah. to having like not used to like wearing different clothes every right. day because yeah, I was no. wearing uniforms. I was so excited to wear a uniform. Really? Oh, my God. I was like, take the pressure off. Yeah, exactly. Now you have the – imagine not having that pressure and all of a sudden you're like, what? Uh, I have to like – I have to do what? Yeah, I, I have to plan my I outfit every day? Don't envy that. Yeah. No. So I actually, needless to say, I hated high school. I did not fit in. You know, growing up in Catholic private school, going to Beverly Hills High where – you're literally on the Drew Barrymore path where it's right. like cocaine and alcohol and other stuff by the age of 13. Yeah, I saw 90210. Yeah, I know exactly. what goes on I mean, there. it was like a scene from less than zero. So I didn't love high school and I felt like an outsider. So I ditched a ton of class. And so now when my college counselor called me in and she's like, so kid, um, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like a doctor lawyer or something cool like that. And she's like, <laughs> yeah, not with these grades. <laughs> And she's like, um, maybe you want to like scale back and think of something different. And that was like a clearly a reality check, like a slap in the face. And that's when it kind of gave me that wake up call of I need to stop and remember where I came from because my parents, as I said, were very holistic, very spiritual, took me to India many times to stay at an ashram. You know, I was raised certainly Catholic, but also with a very strong kind of Eastern influence about reincarnation and karma and all that stuff. And so I took a beat and I was like, I am not on the path that my parents put me on and I need to find out why and I need to change it. And so at the time, my theory was my surroundings. I I thought to myself, Beverly Hills High is not encouraging, call it the spiritual side of me. Don't say. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to drop out. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, um, I'm failing all my classes. I'm ditching all the others. And I want to leave high school and take my GED and go to City College because I want to be with people who want to be there. How did that go? And he goes, son, I think that's a great idea. Really? Wow. Yeah. And he said, oh and he, God, said Dad. he said, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, yeah. not that I'm comparing myself to them, but he said, there are some leaders in the world that identified their path early on and realized that they didn't need school to get there. And if oh you're like them. I want to give your dad a hug. Yeah, he said, if you're like them. You have my blessing. Wow. And so, so it's the, a huge gamble. It's a but huge gamble. Also a huge <laughs> amount of faith in yeah. you. And then he's like, so. no pressure. Yeah. You better fucking <laughs> show up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so so it's 
what was the beautiful thing is, so now I'm 15 years old. I have all the pressure of school and performance off my chest. Now kombucha comes into my life and it's kind of this moment of, can I do this? And what are the risks? And because I was so young and because of dropping out of high school in my mind, I'm like, there is no risks don't matter. I could pursue this for call it two years, fail miserably and go back to school at the same level as my peers or God willing, it'll go well. I'll do something that I love, do something that I genuinely feel has blessed my life, has blessed my parents' life, and hopefully will bless others' lives. And maybe it will go well. Maybe this will be my path indefinitely. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Turns out that didn't happen. Total (laughs) failure. Yeah. What was I thinking? So, and so that's one beautiful part of the story. The other part is that because I was so young, I didn't really know the term entrepreneur mm-hmm. or business. It wasn't plan. even like a word it when, wasn't a when, word. when we were doing it. I yeah. mean, it's kind yeah. of, it wasn't, yeah. The world has changed. The culture was not what it is now by any stretch yeah. at yeah. all. It's, it's so true. Amazing. Yeah. And so because I didn't have those pressures, the way I, the analogy I always give, and I almost give it too much is I was like barefoot and pregnant. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, I was trying to give birth to this life and I knew that it was coming from me and my body was the vessel for it. And that I really needed to stop everything else in my life and just devote my life to giving birth to this. And whether it was the people that I associated with or the things that I, you know, surrounded myself with, those could all play positive or negative roles on what I was doing and the choices I made. And so no joke for the next two years, I became like a recluse. So I started to make the kombucha from my parents' kitchen. I took it very seriously. Like I was nervous that people were going to identify that just a kid was making this. Mm-hmm. So everything I did was top notch. Like I would hand label the bottles, but I would measure from the bottom of the bottle to the bottom of the label for every bottle. So when they were on the shelf, they were, they looked <laughs> yeah. like they were machine applied. Mm-hmm. I would go to sleep at four in the afternoon. I'd get up at midnight. I would brew, bottle, deliver, and then come back and do that. It was a seven day a week, one man show for the two years. And the beautiful part about it is I wasn't like chasing dollars because I certainly wasn't like rolling in it, right? But it it very, very much felt like a personal expression. I was like handcrafting every bottle, you know, filling it by hand, delivering it, polishing each bottle when I put it on the shelf. Yeah. And so that was the reward. such an enormous sense of pride, which I think carries you so far, especially at such a young age. But it sounds like, I mean, obviously you're wise beyond your years because I don't know many 15, 16, 17 year olds that think about things like that in the first place. No, I definitely was thinking about how much I hated high school, but I did not <laughs> have make the, the leap. I did not have the vision, like, and know how to get out of it. So, how did you know how much to charge for these bottles when you were putting them on the shelves? And which shelves were they sitting so, on? So, my first store um, was Air One, Whoa, which is we've just a beautiful been singing store. their praises yeah. for the last. We're going right after this. Oh, yeah, you yeah. should totally go. So the Air One now they have multiple locations, but back then they only had one. It was the one, their first one on Beverly Boulevard. That's where we're going. Yes, you and I remember. Come. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> I remember walking in with my dad. He was there for moral support. And I was dressed in a suit and I had a briefcase. Oh my God. Do you have a picture? Please tell me there's a picture. No, I should have taken a picture. Why don't you have a picture? I don't know. Because honestly, I didn't think anything I was doing was important. Yeah. Well, you were wearing a suit. Well, I mean, important like to document. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. It was also a very different culture then. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. I mean, a camera was like, you know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember walking into Air One and like, I'm. And by the way, I faked my name because I was worried about people identifying. So there was three characters there was George. There was GT and then there was Jorge. And GT was the boss because his name was on the label. And then George was a salesman. And so like I would create these different identities because I really wanted to create this illusion that there was, you know, some resources behind this. Because again, let's be honest, if you're making food, people want to make sure it's coming from a clean, safe place. Yes, yes. And, and not from he, a 15-year-old in a Like, suit. yeah, 15-year-old's yeah. like bathtub, you know? Because <laughs> right. like, nothing sounds more appetizing yeah, than, than that. a 15-year-old's bathtub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I went to Air One and I did the hard pitch and I was so blown away with how open they were. And that was the beginning of the journey. And again, back then there was no Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. There certainly wasn't this health and wellness movement. I mean, the healthiest thing back then was like Snapple. Right. Yeah. You know? God, made from the best stuff on earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was just that slow, steady journey, if you will, that I went on and I was just constantly feeling rewarded. And, you know, it was, it was people's feedback and the, and the love of doing something that I love, which was kind of the payment. You know, I wasn't, again, I wasn't like rolling in money and I certainly wasn't doing it for money. I was doing it because it really was like a personal expression. And so that year, what was that year? 95. 95. So 95 to 97, I made kombucha out of my parents' kitchen. Mm-hmm. 
And then cut to, there's so much here, so you probably will have to edit the hell out of this. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. So, yeah, so what happened was, is um, as now I'm more than barefoot and pregnant, I'm now nursing. <laughs> and um, my brother, who's 22 years old, is diagnosed with cancer. Oh, what? Yeah. And he... He's your younger brother? Or older brother. So oh, I'm the baby. Okay. I'm the youngest of three. And so this was the middle child. And he had a, a freak situation. I won't bore you with the details. But the long of the short is he was diagnosed in June of 97 and died in December of 97. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. That's and it was the most sorry. incredible experience because, you know, you had complete opposite sides of the spectrum yeah. of life going on. So you had this like young, inspired, motivated, ambitious guy, which was me who was just like pouring his heart and soul into this thing that he loved and he was watching it grow and become something. And, and through that, I was witnessing, you know, a sense of purpose and passion and life and all of this stuff. And then the opposite side of the spectrum was my brother, mm. who was not much older in age because, you know, in my mind, these years are all the yeah. same. And he was being stripped of all his pride, all his strength, everything that he thought was important, and he just wanted to live. And he was slowly dying a slow death. And to the point where, I mean, he, no joke, was on his hands and knees every night because the kind of cancer he had developed on his right buttock. So he couldn't lay down on his back, on his side. Everything caused him a lot of pain. My parents, being the holistic people they were, didn't want to give him pain medicine, certainly mm -hmm. didn't want to go on morphine or anything like that. So they went, ran through the gamut of all these different, call it um, holistic methods of treatment. But in the 90s, there wasn't, again, mm -hmm. you didn't have the internet, you didn't, you didn't have, have all this, yeah, you didn't have the information. So they tried like everything and nothing worked. Oh, that's heartbreaking. So can I just ask you, because it's interesting, when I think about, you know, kombucha, but then also this sort of new wave of fermented foods and everybody's connecting it to the microbiome and the health benefits around that. And it's a whole new, amazing subject that we're just scratching the surface. And so I was thinking about fermented foods. And so I went to a place called the Ann Wigmore Institute in Puerto Rico. Do you know, mm -mm. have you ever heard of this? Mm -mm. Okay, so she is a super, super early, she's passed down, but she is this leading holistic thought leader and she sort of specialized in wheatgrass therapy and living foods. So I, I spent a bit of time there and, you know, everyone there was terminal. And this is in like 2001, maybe. Everyone there was terminal. It was about 25 people except me. I just wanted to, you know, learn. And I would say there were three kind of, buckets to to the therapy. So it was living foods, it was wheatgrass, and then it was this special brew that she invented called Rejuvalac. Do you know what Rejuvalac course, is? Okay, yes. that's Anne Rigmore's. She sort of takes credit for giving birth to that. Mm -hmm. And it's like this fermented grain, right? It's a grain. And mm -hmm. I think it's so that people, right. So yeah. you sprout it and then it ferments for a few days. And the idea with Rejuvalac, I think, is that it's easier for people who can't deal with the yeast, right? Exactly. So that was a big piece of her puzzle. And she had amazing results. I mean, people would arrive there with cancer and, and leave without it. So I, I was just curious if you had in, you know, in the early 2000s or late 90s, if you had stumbled upon her teachings or her, you know, institute or her rejuvalac. Well, I don't think I came across her specifically, but certainly the things, that, the philosophy that she shared, you know, the fermented foods, rejuvalac, things of that nature, apple cider vinegar. I mean, they're all, call it different genres of the similar thing, which is, these living, fermented, crafted by nature offerings that really do promote balance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, cancer, in my opinion, is a symptom of an imbalance. Mm -hmm. So the only way to get rid of it, step one, is put balance back in the body. Mm -hmm. But obviously, as you were saying, like you didn't know this or you didn't know to think about it in this way at that time, oh, yeah. which must have made it oh, much more I mean, painful to so watch painful. your brother have this experience and feel just helpless. And, and yeah. Ugh, yeah, yeah, no, it was hard. So what happens, the reason why I'm saying this is two things occurred. One is my brother died. And I'm a big believer that people in this world have a different point of view when they've witnessed death at an early age of somebody near their age. Mm -hmm. Because I think the greatest issue that we face, whether we know it or not, is this you know perception of I'm immortal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have all the time in the world, whether that's the choices you make of what you eat whether those are the choices you make of what you do with your life or who you surround yourself with. But once you've seen somebody being stripped of everything that we think as, you know, teenagers, that's important. The cars, the clothes, the parties, the friends, you name it. And that you find out that that means nothing. Mm -hmm. 
it changes you forever. So it solidified my path. Like it actually, in a weird way, made me realize that what I was doing was right. And I and gave me this huge sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. So I was like, life is so short. Mm-hmm. It could, I mean, my brother was great and then he wasn't. And then he was dead. Yeah. And it was just like watching the carpet being pulled out from somebody. Oh so that was one thing that, again, solidified my path to this day. Yeah. The other, which was more of call it a pivotal moment and call it my career, was my parents started to fight badly during my brother's death process because, you know, they both initially were aligned on let's heal Justin and let's, you know, explore all these natural remedies, whatever, but call it three quarters into it when it was so obvious that he was losing the battle. I mean, Mm. he had edema, which is this like buildup of fluid, Mm. you know, his thighs were like giant, but his upper body was like anorexic because fluid was building up, but he wasn't eating. So he was like, you know, it was even more exaggerated. Yeah, it was yeah. horrible. My mom said to my dad, let's let's please just stop with the science project and let's just get him comfort. Let's enjoy him for the last moments of his life. And they did not see eye to eye on that. Because I think at times people become obsessed with healing somebody that becomes their personal mission. Mm-hmm. Well, and when it's your child, I mean. When I it's can... your child. But you have to stop, I believe, and say, all right, we still need to make sure he has quality of life. Because mm-hmm. if he doesn't have quality of life, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So my parents split up. After my brother died and then my dad had an affair. He had an an affair. I should put this back in order. He had an affair first and then my parents split up. So what happened was, is I remember overhearing them fight and they were talking about selling the house. And I was like, I thought to myself selfishly, you can't sell the house. This this is my family. My lab. (laughs) This is where I make my my brew. (laughs) So what happened was, is through, you know what they say, through every dark moment comes the light. I mean, that was the universe was pushing me and saying, Hey, it's time to move out. And so I I moved out my kombucha production, got a small little factory in the beautiful city of Gardena, which is not beautiful. (laughs) And that forced me to grow up in a certain way. How old were you then? I was 17. (sighs) Good Lord. Yeah. And it has obviously blossomed and grown by leaps and bounds since then. It has. But but you know what? I mean, the reason why, and this is not me tooting my own horn, but I believe- You should toot your own horn. Well, I just want to say that I I think that, you know- This is a safe place to toot your own (laughs) horn. Toot away. So I never want to come off as like arrogant or all of that, because I can't stand people who just think that they walk on water. But I mean, what I believe has really saved me and my company and my brand from making like incredibly horrible mistakes and horrible decisions is it really was a slow, Mm -hmm. steady Mm -hmm. like process that every moment was protected or celebrated or cherished that I wasn't like, I need to be rich in five years. I need to hit my sales goals in three years. I didn't have any of that. It was really like, I'm good just this. Right. This or better, I'm good at. Yeah. And that kind of was a nice solid foundation. You know, even honestly for me today with all the noise that's now out there, mm-hmm. you know. And there is a lot of noise out there today. So you, much noise. you started something pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Pretty big category you created here. Yeah. I mean. And you ladies know, I mean, you're in the same boat, right? You start something because you love it and you want to help people. And next thing you know, the wolves come. Yeah. You know, you know like. <laughs> it's really funny because actually a lot of the spark had to do with the Anne Wigmore Institute. And I was like, oh, why can't we just like figure out how to do this and like bring it to the masses? Because I'm watching firsthand people heal themselves of cancer. But it was obviously a bit tough, right, to sort of pause your life, go to the island of Puerto Rico and stay there indefinitely. You know, it's just not realistic. I was thinking it could have gone the route. Maybe we could have figured out how to bottle Rejuvelac (laughs) instead of juice. And we would be telling a very different story right now. But thankfully, we went the juice route and you went the Rejuvelac fermented kombucha route. But it is, yeah, two categories were created here. So how do you handle the competition because you're huge now. I mean, what is the actual, how are you measuring it these days? I'm not going to ask you like what your sales are. You know, honestly, my measuring stick is not one of financial basis. It really is. Am I staying true to my path? Am I still loving what I'm doing? And am I, do I still feel like I'm helping the world? You're and still running it. You're yeah, still at the helm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my name's on the label. Come yeah. on. Up here. What's <laughs> up? <laughs> yeah. No, I take it very personally. I mean, again, not to use the same tired analogy, but the way I described being barefoot and pregnant at the, call it, conception of my company, now I, I'm very much an overprotected parent, meaning like to oversimplify things. I think there's two kinds of company brand product creators. There's those that create, and then at some point they're like, I can let you go. 
And it's a lot like allowing a kid to go away to college, allowing them to get married, allowing them to live on the other side of the world. You know, there's certain people who are just like, you're going to be what you're going to be. And, you know, I've raised you this way. Now go. <laughs> and then there's other people. And I put myself in this category. It's like, yeah, I really want all that. But I just really want to make sure you're a great person. Yeah, so I'm going to make do sure. everything I can. Yeah. You're in the right school. You eat the yep. right thing. You're the right friends. Yeah. You're so the, you're a helicopter you're parent. A helicopter yes. Parent. Yeah. Quite all right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how I run my company today is that I understand that it's now reached a point where it, it certainly has its own life. It certainly has its own identity. It certainly has its own personality. But I still want to make sure that, you know, as it grows up, that it goes to the right schools and has the right friends and does the right things that it's going to grow up to be something that I can say I'm proud of. Well, you can say you're proud of it right now, too. Well, yeah, but I mean, but something could change yeah. tomorrow because, listen, right. let's Because it honest. could get into the car with the wrong people totally. and then end up with I could tattoos. marry the wrong dude. Totally. <laughs> That's what exactly. happens. That I mean, happen. I see, to, to me, honestly, and I have been approached in the past to, to sell my company. And I see it as many times like watching your baby girl get married. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if I like this guy. Yeah. They have a lot of money. <laughs> many suitors for the princess. Yeah. yeah. So okay. that's how I see it. And that's why I'm such an overprotective parent. But I think it's a good quality. And I feel like especially because now your child has so many siblings, if we're going to just continue. This <laughs> we're going to continue. Yes. We're going to run um, us to the ground. There are so many other products now in the mix. And I do, I mean, the brand story is fascinating, but I think what is equally fascinating is that they're all under the product itself. This whole concept of living foods, I think is still something that is like mysterious to people and confusing and like, what is raw? What is live? What does all this stuff mean? What is fermented? How do I access it? And you in the GT living foods portfolio now have like, there's the yogurt, there's the probiotic, the, the veggie kefir and yes. kefir, 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 kefir. I said it right the first time. <laughs> um, so can you talk a little bit just about really what this concept is of living foods and how it really does bring these benefits, these health benefits that some people will say, like your friends, you know, back in the day, this is total snake oil, which is not. What is the living foods sort of ethos and, and how do people harness that? Absolutely. So, I mean, I knew you call it a decade plus ago, that kombucha is not the, just like you referenced Rejuvalac. So kombucha is not like the singular thing to do. It's part, call it of a family of products and foods that people should consume, right? And so clearly kombucha is what brought me to the party, right? It's my <laughs> bread and butter. But in the back of my head, call it for the last decade, I was like, I, I need to at some point diversify. I need to use this platform of now a company that I have to expose the world to other ways of eating and drinking, but still staying within this ecosystem of living foods. And so in the beginning of 2017, I renamed the company. So previously it was called Millennium Products, which didn't mean anything. It was a horrible name that my parents came up with in the 90s because it was Y2K, Millennium this, Millennium that. <laughs> in the 90s, it made sense. It made sense. Yeah. But in 2001, it didn't. Nope. <laughs> so I was a little slow with the change. But I had a breakthrough, which I won't bore you with the details with, but it, it really was this catalyst for renaming the company to GT's Living Foods, because what was important to me then and now is every company needs their North Star. They need something that tells them, this is who I am, mm -hmm. this is who I'm not. And so by naming ourselves GT's Living Foods, we're essentially putting a stake in the ground saying, this is what we stand for. We stand for foods that are living, that provide life, support life, and make you feel more alive. And so through that, we started to innovate and express ourselves in different ways. So the first was the cocoa kefir, mm -hmm. which actually wasn't my invention. It was, I came across this beautiful family in Minnesota of all places where they had started cocoa kefir and they had been doing it for five years and it was a husband and wife. And they started the company because one of their twin daughters had a very severe case of autism. And they were studying on how to heal through the gut and the body and all of that. And they came across all these fermented foods, kombucha being one of them, but also kefir being another. Mm -hmm. And it was this coconut kefir that they started to make that they noticed dramatic results mm -hmm. with their daughter. Wow. So like me and my mom, it was the inspiration. So they started their business. You know, it was this personal journey, all of that. And I came across it because it was being sold here at Air One. <laughs> started to drink it and loved it. I actually knew about cocoa kefir before. But it is not like kombucha. It's very hard to make because mm -hmm. coconut water is very volatile. Mm -hmm. It's um, high pH, low acid. Yep. So like you can have botulism before you know it. And so it's not a good thing. So anyway, so I came across their product, really loved it, reached out to them. They said, hey, guys, I'm a huge fan and I love what you're doing. And if there's anything you need help with, guidance, advice, what have you, let me know. So long story short, we got in touch. We started to talk. A real nice chemistry developed. and No pun. No pun. <laughs> and at, at some point in 2016, they joined the company. 
And so then that's when Coco Kefir and Coco Yo, which was kind of like the offspring to Coco Obsessed with Coco Yo. The Coco Yo is really good. So you acquired them. Yeah, acquired them. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, little fun fact is I, you know, in the call it from 2010 to 2015, 16, I was specifically courted a lot by a lot of companies, right? Mm -hmm. Some really beautiful companies on paper that I'd be like, oh my God, that would be like a fantasy to be part of that. Yeah. But then you realize they honestly just want you to be their bitch. Yeah. And yeah. I want to be honest. Like I'm no that smarty's bitch. Smart yeah. boy. <laughs> smarty pants over here. He's like, but <laughs> not going to candy coat that one. Yeah. Not going to candy coat it. But something that I did learn is that through this, call it courtship that goes on between you know, the acquirer and the acquiree and the acquiree was me. They give you this lovely like romance language and they're just really stroking you. And oh, you're thinking yeah. like, I am so turned on right now. Like this yeah. is so happening until it doesn't. <laughs> right. Because when the agreements and the lawyers come into play, you're like, you're oh, like, you're nothing that you said you were. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> I got a buzzkill. But anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is I took that experience of being courted and I said, you know what? I'm going to be the one courting, but I'm actually going to mean what I say. So when I talked to the Coco Kefir family, I said, listen, I will celebrate your product. I will protect your product. I promise never to change it without your permission. And if it changes, it must be better. So it was giving them that vote of confidence because a lot of people say that initially, but until like the paperwork comes into play right. and they're like, we own everything and we have the right to do whatever we want. And it's basically like, we're going to yeah. basically saying, I'm going to kill your product. Um, and you're going to sign on the dotted yeah, line. You can't stop me. <laughs> So that is, you know, I, I must say it was a blessing in disguise to be courted like that because I was able to learn the ropes and apply it in a better way. And so then Coco Kefir, Coco Yo came into the picture and that was the kind of the, the beginning of our evolution of portfolio products. And then Veggie Kefir, which came out of that, call it platform or now business unit. And then we have a live, which is an adaptogenic tea. So we take these fruiting body adaptogenic mushrooms like chaga and reishi and turkey tail and we brew them for nine hours. We extract all these wonderful nutrients out of them. And then we pair it with a premium tea, raw apple cider vinegar, probiotics, fresh ingredients, and call it a Amazing. day. And so it's just a way, again, like I understand that, for instance, kombucha is not for everyone. And maybe coco kefir is not for everybody. But we want to have different offerings for everybody's palate or position mm -hmm. or philosophy. Some people yeah. like super light mm -hmm. or something like really polarizing, like the coco kefir where you take it and it's. You have to almost like hold your nose when you take it, but you feel a difference. Yeah. So we want something for everybody. You're creating a mandala and you're all yes. these different doors enter yeah. wherever you want. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, oh and God. what would be an example of who is the alive, the apple cider tonic good for? Yes. So the, so first of all, it's good for everybody, but the one who we're targeting is, is the people who think kombucha is maybe a little too weird. Too strong. You know, too, too strong, sour, yeah. too vinegary. The floaties, the cultures yeah. might scare them. So they want something a little bit more dare I say, you know, like a sparkling probiotic something. Mm -hmm. But those, in my opinion, are fakes, right. right? So what I always say is, hey, if the consumer is buying products because they're essentially signaling that I want something in this realm, but the products that they're buying are kind of like fakes, I always say then I will give them something genuine and authentic, but will still satisfy what they're looking for. So if somebody wants like a sparkling, lightly sweetened, something <laughs> that has nutritional value, then that's our life. So- Funny that you say that because I, my mother also went through a breast cancer battle and survived. When she was first diagnosed, I, she's in Arizona. I flew out, to, out from New York, you know, multiple times over the course of several months when she started treatment and I stocked her fridge and I would make all these soups and, you know, just do everything I could in my nutritional wheelhouse to get calories into her, but like good quality stuff because she doesn't have the greatest eating habits. And kombucha was like one of my go-tos. Like I got it. You got to get the GTs. And she couldn't do it. It was yeah. too strong. It was too sour. It was too all of these things. And she generally likes, you know, sour, salty things, but she couldn't do it. And so I started doing apple cider vinegar and water. Basically, yeah. I was just like, start with this. Yeah, so, that's exactly it. Oh, that makes me, I was on the right you track. You were on the right track. <laughs> have, you, have you thought about doing, so there's all, you know, there's all this research coming out now. And it's funny because we were recently reminded that, you know, the, the field of nutrition is very young. It's very new. It's only a hundred years old. You think you know, you know, all there is to know about what's healthy and what isn't and what you should be eating, what you shouldn't be eating. You should be paleo, should be vegetarian, vegan, whatever. Like you don't know. And I think we're just now with the microbiome and fermented food and all like we, I think we're all clear that this is sort of the beginning of something kind of revolutionary that's right. about to happen. Oh, yeah. So have you considered 
kind of getting in front of the science a little bit or supporting the science and teaming up with either a, a lab or someone to, to put some put some money behind put, some put studies. Some science behind it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And say, and hey, we want to. Yeah. The one challenge that we face and a lot of brands face this in the natural space is you can't patent intellectual property when it's natural. So what I mean by that is if we, for instance, poured all this money into clinical studies and science behind this, what happens, and not to say that this is a bad thing completely, but then everybody can steal that knowledge and then put it on their label. Right. But So I'm just saying, yeah, so I'm saying almost for the purposes of having a conversation with the medical community. So I feel like doctors are not going to sort of, quote unquote, prescribe like fermented foods or kombucha or anything else, unless there is like science behind it. Right. But they're never going to do it on their own, obviously. Right. So it's like, can somebody just show them, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. So, like, I, so it's, it's more getting in front of the medical community, yeah. which we have. The one other caveat, and I hate to sound so cynical, is, you know, doctors only prescribe because they get paid for it. Exactly. Yes. It's so disturbing. It's so disturbing. Yeah. My brother actually dropped out of medical school because, you know, he was raised like I was and he was like, it is, this should be legal. I yeah. mean, these yeah. are legal drug pushers that they teach us to find the drug versus find the cure. Right. You know what I mean? It's like prescribe, so, treat, yeah. prescribe, treat. Yeah. That's exactly. It's never cure. It's never eliminate. It's always just like contain it and make sure the revenue streams happen. Right. And, you know? and half those drugs are created based on studies that have been paid for by the drug companies yeah. themselves. Yeah. We were talking about this earlier and always this confirmation bias that exists in the medical and drug community. Yeah. So they show you the results that you need to see in order to like continue funding them. And that's, I mean, I think to what you're saying, like a company like yours to actually do the proper controlled, like double blind studies where you're not looking for something to sell product. You're actually looking for something for people to start making a shift and like changing the paradigm right. so that we're not looking for the drug, but we're looking to start, like Zoe was saying, the gut is a great place to start because no matter what else you're bringing to the table in terms of what you're eating or whatever, it all starts in the gut. Yes. So somebody, you know, GT Living Foods, like you are supplying everything that the gut needs in so many different ways. And I feel like it's just a really good place to It really start. is because in addition to that, you know, what kind of is the core of living fermented foods for me is also prevention. Yeah. Right. You shouldn't be taking it when you have the upset stomach. You right. should be taking it. So you don't get the Yeah. It's like you're just a daily practice. Right. Exactly. And so I believe, call it in the next 10 years, you're already kind of seeing it, but you're seeing this younger generation of doctors that have lost loved ones to cancer mm -hmm. or whatever. And they see the flaw. Like my brother, who I honestly wish he stayed in medical school because I told him when he was in, I was like, Could you have can, made such a difference. Yeah, you can be the change. Yeah. But I do think there are people like him that stayed in school and, mm -hmm. and went through their path of practicing medicine. They're like, no, I am, you know, conventional medicine is there when needed, but it's not the exclusive thing. There needs right. to be this nice marriage between right. nature. Eastern, yeah. yeah, right. Eastern like West. Eastern medicine is not going to like fix your broken leg. Exactly. But I mean, no, and there are the complementary certainly, practice. Yeah, is, that's yeah. exactly it. There are points at which like, you know, you certain schools of thought, certain practices are not going to heal you and you have to try something different. And yeah. whether that's East or West, you know, you kind of have to. Yeah, you need to incorporate both. Yeah. For sure. Wow. God's work. You're doing God's work. <laughs> I was just going to say. Thank you. <laughs> um, we'll toot your horn. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because it is, it's like, this is just another example of a company that is tremendously successful because you are coming from such an authentic and pure place. I mean, your story, it's like, I think if you had it any other way, you just would not be where you are today. Yeah, that's exactly it. Do you think you're going to continue running the ship? Do you want to, is this your baby that you're going to just, yeah, 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 forever? Yeah. Cause to be honest, like, I feel like I'm just getting started and feel like I'm just that's scratching so the good to hear. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, that's so refreshing. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little story. So I did ayahuasca at the beginning of 2017, mm -hmm. which was the catalyst for the name change. And it really opened me up to the possibility of life. And what I mean by that is that I think a lot of times we live through fear, right? Like I can't do this because I'm fear of failure. I can't do this fear of judgment, whatever. And I certainly had that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I didn't change the company's name. It was like, oh, you know, what if it, the name people don't like it? Or what if it offends people or something like that? And when I was doing my ayahuasca ceremony in January 15th of 2017. <laughs> um, Where did you do it? I did it here in um, Southern California in Solvang, which is in between Santa Barbara. I've been to Solvang. Santa. Oh, my yeah, God. It's like a little Danish town. You don't, yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. You don't even need to be on drugs to have yeah, like an amazing exactly. time there. Yeah, it feels oh like God. another planet. It does. 
But so one of the things, so when, have you ladies done ayahuasca? No. No. Okay. So what happens is, first of all, it's not a drug. So everybody who's judging me out there, stop. And it really is a medicine. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that originated in the rainforest. Ayahuasca is a combination of a plant, excuse me, a stem and a leaf from two different plants. And when you put them together and ingest them, it's called um, the grandmother energy. So it goes through you and like grandmothers can be tough, but it's always tough love in a way it holds up a mirror to you of this is who you are. And then what it does, it says, and these are the reasons why. And it kind of starts peeling back all these layers of what makes us tick, what makes us think, the good and bad things that we've experienced up to date that play a role in how we see the world and certainly the decisions we make, right? So, but what it did is it told me, first of all, that I'm here for service, right? And the message that repeated throughout my ceremony, which was two days, eight hours each day, was thy will be done, thy will be done, thy will be done. And it was really just telling me like, listen, this is not about me, right? This path chose me as much as I chose it. And I need to understand what I was blessed with. And I was blessed with something that is life-changing for people, not just through their body, but through their consciousness. And I need to further that. And so as weird as it sounds, all these creative ideas of whether it was brand expressions, whether it was other designs, whether it was other products came to me and it said, this is what you need to put out there and just have a slow and steady, but yet disciplined and thoughtful approach to things. You know, again, not doing this for success and wealth, doing it because it's really an expression, like an artist that's trying to create a series of of art forms. Mm -hmm. And that is what kind of, in a way, gave me permission. So through that, like we started to, to innovate in all these different ways, not just in the kombucha space, but even outside of the kombucha space. I love that. I mean, I love how many, you guys are really, how many different directions are you going to take it? And there's a lot of product line extension there you is. can do, especially yeah. with the rebrand. Yeah, there really living, is. Under the living foods umbrella. Yeah. And by the way, if you are running out of names when you're creating all of these <laughs> wonderful products, you can use my name because my name means life. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, it's a Greek word. It means life. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. And I'll just... Small licensing fee. <laughs> it's all yours. Okay. Thank you. Damn. So I wish my parents were like Beyonce and Jay-Z. And they would have <laughs> like... They would have trademarked my name at birth. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so one thing I just want to say, and I and actually, I heard you ladies do your podcast with the BevNet folks. Mm-hmm. And so okay. one thing that stood out to me is, you know, you created... Blueprint Cleanse, which then gave birth to all these different copycats, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. what you witnessed was, and you said this, and this really rang the right bell for me, is then the whole fresh pressed HPP kind of language started to become bastardized, Mm -hmm. right? Because you had people that jumped in, they're like, oh, I'm that too, or whatever. And next thing you know, there's like countless competitors out there, and they're all saying different things. And then like, then you have the price war, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are like starting to take what cost you, you know, eight or $10 to make and sell. They're doing it for like five. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're using cheap ingredients, and water, water yep. whatever. Sending the shelf life, yep. Yep. everything else. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep. And so then what happens is, is this beautiful thing that you created, which honestly should have been protected and should have needed more education around it. So people know and people knew like, this is real, this is not. This costs X. This is cheap for reasons, Mm -hmm. right? So in a way, we're seeing it in so many different categories in the natural food world right now. Mm -hmm. But also, of course, in kombucha, which I call it the the bastardization of kombucha, where you have now Pepsi owns Kavita, Pete's Coffee and Tea owns Revive. There's tons of PE firms that own Brew Doctor, Coke owns Health Aid. And you, you know, can tell there's no soul in so many of them. Yeah, you can really, you can taste it. Yeah. So anyways, the long of the short is I'm yeah. just saying is it it's our responsibility and it's something that it's kind of our cross to bear where we have to stay true to who we are and we have to make sure that the consumer is protected through education, that they need to know yes, like 100%. the difference between authenticity and just an actor. It's, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of money to educate. So everyone, I hope you realize that yeah. because the brands that are, trying to educate are not just, you know, they're putting a lot of time and money behind it. Those are real dollars that you're putting out there as a company, as a brand to educate between what's raw and what's living, what's, you know, it, there's just so much and, and, and it gets very confusing and, and the pasteurized and raw and that whole world is, there's a lot of money at stake. And there's, yes. And there's a lot of money being put into confusing people for oh, the yeah. sake of making a buck. Yeah. So, but I think to your point, like do your research and actually read up and the education is out there and yeah. people really need to be encouraged to actually listen and pay attention and understand the difference between high quality and authentic and something that's just like a cheap copycat. And you totally. let us know how we can help you continue 
to clarify <laughs> yes. and educate around the subject because it's very important. It, it is. is. It, it really is. is. Oh my God. I want to keep talking to you forever and ever. But <laughs> I mean, but really that is like, go. that's why, you know, that's like what we want to do with this podcast. I know. We want to talk that's about these it. subjects and it we want is. to like clear up some of this stuff. Yes. Anyway. Yes. God, I, we could talk I to you for a really long I time. Know. We might have to have you back. We're going to have to do a part two. I know. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming. Of course, and my pleasure. we will continue to champion your brand and drink it every day. Thank you. Like it. we always do. Thank you. Love you girls. Thanks, GT. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at hgwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.